The procedure is quite simple, really. We will drill two small holes into her skull. Then we will insert a small metal scalpel and delicately cut through the link between the prefrontal cortex, that's the area of the mind that is responsible for behavior, planning, decision-making, personality, speech, and language, and the rest of the brain. It's a very straightforward surgery. She will even be awake for the entire operation. And it will help her with her tantrums, outbursts, and seizures. Oh, yes, this will calm her right down. Alleviate the struggles and the complexities of life. If this procedure is so good, why hasn't the American Medical Association approved it? Well, this is a new discovery. We are on the cutting edge of science here, if you can. Excuse the pun. But will it work? It's a 10-minute procedure that will leave her as mild as a mill pond. The hospital sheets were cold, starchy, and stiff. Her gown was an off-putting duck egg blue that made her skin look green in contrast. She felt fine. No need for a visit to the doctor. This wasn't like other visits to the hospital. She was told to lie down on the bed. Her body was then roughly strapped to the metal frame. Bright operating lights blinded her as she gazed up at two surgeons clad all in white. Her hair was shaved and cold alcohol-soaked compresses stung the freshly sheared scalp. A light anesthetic was given as a nurse told her to relax. This would only take a few minutes. She'd feel no pain and leave a transformed woman. As a surgeon applied pressure to her skull, she was asked to say a prayer. Obediently, the Lord's Prayer flowed from her lips. Sing a song for us, Rosie, the surgeon said from behind her head. Confused yet willing to please, she went in to a timorous version of Amazing Grace the light from the operating theater blurring her vision. Maybe a poem now, Rosie. I know you like Winnie the Pooh. What does Pooh say? Uh, uh, well, um, Pooh does say, I'm not lost for I know where I am. But however, where I am may be, may, may be, may be, Yes, that's right, Rosie. Where may Pooh be? Come on, Rosie. What's the rest of the poem? Rosie? Rosie? Lost, said the nurse. Pooh is lost. A hush fell across the operating theater. A scalpel clattered to the floor. She was as mild as a mill pond, for that's all her mind was now. Slowly moving water. In 1941, Joe Kennedy subjugated his daughter Rosemary to a prefrontal lobotomy. She was 23. The procedure was a total failure and left the once beautiful and vibrant young woman completely incapacitated. She lost the ability to speak, talk, and be independent. Her mother and siblings did not know that Joe had made the arrangements for the operation. And it's possible Rosemary did not know what was going on either. 
After the botched procedure, Joe hid his eldest daughter away at a residential care facility where she remained for nearly 63 years until she died at the age of 86. For 20 years after the surgery, Joe kept her hidden from even her own mother and siblings. They had no idea where she was kept. It wasn't until 1962 that mother and daughter were reunited. But this was not a warm reunion. Some accounts say that upon sight of her mother, Rosemary tried to violently attack the woman who she felt had abandoned her. We think of the Kennedy family as a collection of brilliant and tragic figures. And Rosemary is no exception. She may not have been as academic or politically minded as her brother's President John F. Kennedy or Senator Ted Kennedy. She may not have progressed in the same way socially and at school as her sisters. But she by no means deserved, let alone required, a lobotomy. Due to a birth injury, Rosemary did have learning difficulties, seizures, and additional behavioral needs. But it was her father's desperation to avoid scandal and political ruin that sealed Rosemary's fate. And as tragic as this story of a president's sister is, it's not unique. It's salacious and newsworthy because of the name Kennedy. It's devastating to see this young beauty turned forever into an infantile toddler. And it's cold and callous as her father stole his own child's light. But Rosemary isn't alone. It's estimated that over 50,000 lobotomies have been performed in the USA alone. The last one taking place in 1967. This is not ancient history. Rosemary came from a wealthy and influential family. And as horrendous as her story is, it could and would have been significantly worse for patients who did not carry the prestigious Kennedy name. It's Becca. For the past three years, the West London Witch team have been dedicated to bringing you the best supernatural stories at the highest studio quality. And by team, I mean me and my buddy Danny. We do this work totally for free because we love it. We're proud of our content and appreciate the wonderful interactions we get to have with storytellers and listeners just like yourself. If you're enjoying the West London Witch, maybe consider joining our Patreon. It's a way to further engage with us and show your support for two creatives. 
If you're in a position to spare enough each month for us to grab a cup of coffee in between edits or add to the piggy bank for a new microphone, we would love to see you in our Patreon community. But I know times are tough. So if you're not in a position to join Patreon right now, that's okay. We aren't going anywhere. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash the West London Witch. For as little as one pound, one dollar, one euro a month, you can gain full access to our coven, a space where we share behind the scenes stories, dive deeper into each episode, answer your questions, and have special little treats to thank you for sharing your love and kindness with your favorite little witch. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the West London Witch, a podcast where we share stories about those moments where we find ourselves very much not alone. What's better than a psychic medium investigating a haunted insane asylum? It sounds like the plot of a Hollywood blockbuster, a horror movie filled with jump scares, ominous music, and a set too cliche and spooky to be true. But in today's episode, that is exactly our setup. Paranormal investigator and YouTuber Luna is here to share with us her most horrifying and dangerous investigation to date. What started out as a girl's weekend away turned into a veritable dance with the devil. A reminder that along with ghosts and angels, spirit guides and lost souls, there are also shadow figures, lower level entities, and even demons to be aware of. I'm Rebecca Strazina, and this is The West London Witch. Episode 49, The Devil Lives Here. So I don't even know where to start. This story is extremely crazy. You know, being a paranormal investigator as well as a psychic medium. And just really quickly, if if you guys don't know the difference between psychic and medium, psychics can see into the future and what's happening today. Mediums can speak with uh, the other people on the other side, people who have died, like your family members. But for me, being a medium, I like to go into the creepy, creepy places and like to talk to the dead that's already there. So I have been to plenty of asylums um, as a paranormal investigator. I've been to, you know, very many places that are dilapidated, broken down, eerie, they, you know, the dripping, like all that stuff you would see in creepy stories, creepy movies, all that. I've been to these places and I love it. I just like knowing about the spirits and their stories. But I had an opportunity to go to Connecticut to an asylum that was called the Norwich State Hospital. Built in 1903, the Norwich State Hospital for the Insane was originally designed to house and treat patients with mental health conditions. The hospital started modestly. One main building housed 95 patients. However, by 1905, as the amount of patients grew, so did the hospital. Over several decades, additional buildings were added to accommodate an influx of patients. The one single structure on 100 acres was now a complex maze of buildings sprawled out over 900 acres. As the campus evolved, so did the patients. The hospital ditched the insane from its title 
and was furthermore known as the Norwich State Hospital. In addition to the mentally ill and criminally insane, the hospital began to admit geriatric patients, patients struggling with drug or alcohol addiction, and even served as a tuberculosis ward in the 1930s. The expansive campus was linked together with a tunnel system that connected the now over 30 different hospital blocks. Everything from supplies, food, and bodies were moved from location to location via these snaking channels. There were lots of activities open to the patients, such as art and music lessons, embroidery, bowling, theatrical productions, typewriting lessons, and lots of occupational therapy opportunities. But it wasn't all macrame and chess club. Electroshock therapy, ice-cold pack wraps, restraints, and of course, lobotomies were all performed at the Norwich State Hospital. I cannot find any official documents proving the mistreatment of patients, but the hospital has a long-rumored legacy of being the site of unimaginable torture and brutal cruelty. It is said that the staff used barbaric and inhumane practices on mentally ill patients. Some stories suggest the tunnels were even the secret location of some of the vile activity. Whether or not the alleged torture was intentional or just bad, outdated medical practices, I don't think we'll ever know. Yet, with the advent of new psychiatric drugs such as Thorazine, Haldol, and Amepramine, the necessity for these massive mental hospitals decreased. So, in 1996, after 92 years in operation, the hospital closed. The sprawling campus and its many buildings now sit in various states of rot and disrepair. The Norwich State Hospital truly fills all of the requirements for a spooky, decrepit, insane asylum. And my friend Shannon, um, she owns the property now and helps take care of it. And me and two of my other girlfriends, Trinity and Brittany, we decided to make a trip out of it because I'm from the Pacific Northwest and they're from the South. And we wanted to meet up and do like a girl investigation. As the group of friends headed to the location, they decided to do something a little different. As Luna is a psychic medium, they decided that she should be blindfolded on their way to the hospital. That way, she could do an initial psychic sweep of the property with one of her senses deprived. Luna is used to working with sensory deprivation, as it is important to heighten your other senses. So, the group wanted to see if with her physical sight gone, if it would enhance her psychic sight. And so initially when I got there, you know, I picked up on a lot of death. You know, with these state hospitals, there's obviously going to be a lot of death because there's a lot of horrible things that have happened to people. But for me, it was a little different. It felt a little deeper and a little scarier. And, you know, uh, for me, my spirit guides, I work with my spirit guides in order to stay safe and understand what's going on around me. And my spirit guides were very quiet and they've never done that before. And they were giving me very tidbits of, of pictures and information. And I saw the river full of blood. And I was telling my friends, I said, I don't know if there's water or river around us, but all I see is the river just looks like blood, like running blood. And um, I had a journal and I do a lot of um, um, writing and stuff in there. Um, they call it automatic writing now. And I, I drew a picture of the hospital 
on sitting on the steps of the hospital without knowing what the hospital looked like. So that was kind of, so I was definitely making a connection. And I initially made a connection with this spirit. Um, he didn't give me his name, but he came forward as the guy who owns the place. This is my place. You know, he was explaining Shannon, the lady that owns the place and how he really likes her and how she takes care of the place. She respects us. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. This guy seems nice. But then on the other hand, my spirit guides were like, he kind of reminds me of Dr. Frankenstein, you know, and I'm just like, why is that? You know, and then and then my spirit guide said nothing. And initially when I got my blindfold taken off, I looked behind me and I was like, oh my gosh, I drew this, I drew this place, girls, look, look, look. And they're looking and they're like, that's crazy that you drew the hospital without knowing what it looked like. Well, Shannon had let me know that there was a lot of death that happened near the river and would have caused the river to look red. So I didn't know that. I didn't know the history or anything like that going into it. So I was pretty spot on when it came to knowing that there was a lot of death on this property. But I knew that there were a lot of spirits that were still lost. Luna got the overwhelming sense that there were not hundreds of spirits locked within the asylum walls, but rather thousands condemned for eternity to pace the halls of this decaying institution. Of course, since it is abandoned now, there is no electricity. You know, it was very it was very rainy outside, so it definitely set the macabre feel for us going into this state hospital. And you could just hear the rain falling. There was it was very hard to see in front of you. You know, we had flashlights and when you walk in, you can just feel that even though the hospital's not running anymore, it's still running. You've still got the nurses running the floors, the doctor running back and forth. You have the patients screaming, yelling. It's very creepy, very creepy. When we got down to the basement, she made us aware that there's a best asbestos, so to be very careful not to touch anything, you know, and we're like stepping on the floor and it's like really squishy and really gross feeling. And it's like, what are we stepping on? And we shine our flashlights down. And it is a bunch of brain waves on paper from people's brains being looked at scans, scans, thousands, thousands, hundreds of thousands of scans we're stepping on in the basement. Well, it turns out that this place, they did lobotomies. They took people's brains out. They tried to piece things together. It was like Dr. Frankenstein and I was right. But what was creepy for me is I saw hands coming up from the ground in this place. And it's almost like they were reaching up to get out. I look at Shannon and I said, are there bodies still buried here? Because I see hands reaching up from the ground. She goes, oh yeah, there's still ashes and people that are probably missing. Absolutely in this place. And I'm like, that's so sad because they're reaching up from the ground to get out. As the group trudged through the basement, wading through wet, abandoned medical documents, scans, and patient charts, Luna gets stopped in her tracks by a horrendous, overwhelming feeling of danger. There's something not good down here. It looks really dark and bad, like a shadow figure. She goes, yeah, we've seen it before. And I said, yeah, but this thing crawls on the walls. And it's with us right now. And she goes, okay. She goes, should we still stay? And I said, no, girls, we should probably leave and go back upstairs because this thing can see us and it can hear us and it's bad. The group heads out of the basement with haste, hoping to leave the shadow figure in the depths of the building. 
as the sun begins to set, the girls prepare for the next stage of their investigation. At night, we were able to go across the street to what was known as the Norwich State Hospital. Um, it was a it was basically a school, a boarding school for children. So if anybody's parents got put in the mental hospital, this is where they would put the children. Maybe children who are missing didn't have homes. And it was basically a placing home to see if other people would adopt out children, foster them out. It was it was very sad. It was very sad because sometimes these children didn't get to leave. And um, it was literally across the street from the state hospital. This is the one that we really wanted to get into. We wanted to wait till nighttime when it was really creepy. We wanted to do our series. We wanted to do some TikTok lives. We wanted to, you know, go all all out for it. But when we got there, um, it was definitely, and I will, and I will say this. And I told I told Shannon, the owner, I said, Shannon, you couldn't pay me enough money to go back there. I will go back to the Norwich State Hospital any day, but you could not pay me to go back to this children's. Uh, school ever. Um, because when you step through the threshold, I have never heard my my spirit guide scream before. They were screaming at me to leave and I couldn't understand it. There was no cell phone service, so we couldn't go live. There was nothing. It was just us, the cameras, our flashlights. And let me tell you what, the energy changed. And all I kept hearing is the devil lives here. The devil lives here. The devil lives here. It was clear to Luna and her friends that whatever was residing in this school was dark, evil, and possibly even demonic. If they proceeded, they wanted to go forward with an abundance of caution. However, for the evening portion of the investigation, a former associate of Luna's came to join in. He was there with the goal of filming a TV show. He needed to capture high-activity, Hollywood-worthy scenes and was not proceeding with the same trepidation, care, and wariness as the girls. He was all about going in and didn't really care. He just wanted to go straight in and do it. And, you know, all of us girls were just like, hey, we should really take this very serious. This is very scary. Luna saying, like, we need to be careful. We need to stay in, you know, groups. He was not really gung-ho about staying in groups. He wanted to go by himself. So all of us girls were just like, nope, we can't do it. I tried to go in by myself, but it was almost like there was a there was an invisible wall that kept me from moving forward down the hall. It was like, you can't go down there. Don't go down there. So I would have to say for the first time, I was actually shaking. And I've never shook before going into places like this. This was very scary. Luna and her friends were terrified. The energy was awful, dark, and foreboding. This was not a spiritually safe place. I don't believe the children were there anymore. I don't think I felt children. I felt the portal to hell. So if you want to say demon, you want to say lower level entity, they were running this school now. This place is not where we should be. But we knew that Shannon owned this place and she obviously wouldn't let us into a place that was too dangerous. So we continued on. But I don't know why the school, why the school actual classroom was down three flights of stairs through a tunnel, a dark tunnel, like a tunnel, I would say it's probably three football fields long. Why it was all the way around into a deep, dark corner in the back of the building. I couldn't tell you why they they led the poor children all the way down these stairs. But as I kept taking one step closer and closer, and closer to this tunnel, my spirit guide said, if you go in here, 
I can't protect you. And I've never heard my spirit guide say, I can't protect you. And I look at the girls and I said, I want you to know this is what my spirit guides just said. And so our friend, the guy friend was just like, oh, who cares? And just started walking down the tunnel. And I said, I just want to let you guys know that he's comfortable with going down the tunnel. But I'm telling you that I can't protect us if we go in there. And they all look at us and say, well, if we stick together, we'll be fine. The girls all held hands and decided to take the gamble. The investigation would continue into the tunnel. As they descended into the bowels of the school, they were tormented with disembodied knocks, creaks, crashes, growling, and scratching. Um, so in this tunnel, I, I felt something that I've never felt before. And usually when I'm in the presence of spirits, I'll get a little tingle, like when you get chills and stuff. And I know like, okay, there's a spirit around here, but my bones were shaking and I've never felt my bones shake before. And we get into the schoolroom past the creepy tunnel, which I didn't even think I was going to make it through the tunnel. I really didn't because my spirit guides were screaming and just like, we, we don't want you to go in there. We want to protect you. And I kept hearing it and I feel so bad that I didn't listen to them, you know, because they're there to protect me. And I didn't know what was to wait on the other side of that tunnel. And my friends, the guy friends, who <laughs> was nameless, he's down there just acting like it's no big deal, like do, 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 do. And he's just like, cool, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I see, I'm standing right in, in the middle of the schoolroom and the girls are standing there and you can see that they're pale and I'm pale. And they feel something, and I definitely know that something's there. And I'm standing there with my head down, and I literally peek up to the corner, and I look very quickly and look back, and I turn to the girls, and I said, oh, no. And they're like, what? And I'm just like, we have to play it cool right now, but there is something crawling on the wall, and it can see us, and it can hear us. And, I, and my spirit guide say to me, if it knows that you can see them and hear them, it's going to follow you out. Do not let it know that you can see it and you can hear it. And I told the girls and I whispered to them and I said, I cannot let them know that I see it and hear it because it's going to come home or it's going to leave with one of us. And so here I am seeing this creepy thing. And the way I can explain it is it kind of looks like a demogorgon from Stranger Things. It's very gross and it's like drool coming out of its mouth. It's it's got eyes, but it doesn't have eyes. It's so hard to explain. It's the blackest of black I've ever seen. And I'm just standing there and I'm shaking. And, and you know, my guy friend's not knowing what's happening because I'm not telling him because obviously he's not taking this investigation as serious as us girls are, right? You know, he's kind of like antagonizing it really more than anything and kind of making a mockery out of it. And it's not funny. And he goes, so what do you feel down here, Luna? And I'm just like, um... I feel a classroom and he's like, yeah, it's definitely a classroom. And I'm like, and you can see this thing in the corner turn its head to me when he says that and just like staring at me and like hoping that I'm going to say I see it. You know, it's like I know that he knows that I can see it and hear it, but I didn't give him any reason to believe so. Luna was desperate to leave the classroom. She didn't want to tempt fate any further. She casually stated that she didn't feel anything else in the room and nonchalantly as not to arise suspicion with the shadow creature, guided her girlfriends out of the classroom. 
As soon as they had some distance between them and the room, they pelted out of the schoolhouse at top speed. Luna could not get out of there quick enough. And I can tell you, seeing the other side, talking to the other side, knowing that bad things exist just as well as good things. Because I've seen bad things too. I've seen things that go bump in the night. I will tell you, I don't know what it was. And I still don't know what it was to this day. But I ran so fast out of that place. The only problem was they needed to collect their belongings from inside the schoolhouse. Luna refused to return. So her girlfriends offered to go in and pack up. So the girls end up walking back in there to go grab our equipment and things like that. The investigation was definitely cut short, shorter than it probably should have. You know, there was a whole upstairs unit that we went to before we went to the basement, but the basement was just enough for me to be like, okay, this is, this is now dangerous. This is like life or death at this point. And not many people would think in an investigation, wow, life or death, it's just a bunch of ghosts. You know, what is it that ghosts could do to you? But I'm telling you, if that thing came home with me, I don't know if I could ever get rid of it. I would say that that thing's probably close to the devil as as you would you would ever get. Like I've never felt that feeling before. And so when the girls went back in there, I said, "Please don't go back to the down to the tunnel." She goes, "Well, I've got cameras set up in the tunnels. I need to go get my cameras." And I'm just like, "Oh no, okay." I was like, "Please be safe. Like walking me. Like just be careful." So she goes down there with the guy to go get the cameras. And you hear a scream, a blood curling scream, and you hear running and everything. I was like, what's going on? What's going on? The walkies are not. She comes running up. She goes, something was just thrown at me. A massive rock was thrown at me. It was thrown at like 80 miles per hour. I said, I'm not kidding. So we look back at her cell phone because she's taping it. And what we had saw was her in the tunnel and she was she was talking to the guy and she was like acknowledging. She was just trying to get through it. And all of a sudden you see this rock. It was almost like, an MLB player was pitching and it was like a rock flew past her head as fast as you could. Like it, you barely saw the rock and it like passed her head just barely. It was almost like it was aiming for her. The tide had definitely turned. The friends were not just scared, but in actual physical danger. This was not just a fun ghost hunting investigation anymore. And so I turn to Shannon and her boyfriend and I say, look, I'm just like, I really appreciate you for, for allowing me to come, come into this place. But I, you couldn't pay me enough money to ever go back here ever again. And she just, she kind of giggles. She goes, I've, I've heard that before. I said, do you know what lives down there? She goes, oh yeah, I've, I've heard it before. I've heard it before. I would definitely say to this day, out of everything that goes bump in the night, all of the spirits that I've ever seen stand over me when I sleep. Um, things that have shown up in mirrors, things that have uh, pushed me, poked me, and being in this haunted place. Out of anything that's ever happened to me, that was probably the scariest thing. And anytime I think about it, anytime, I, I will say that this is the thing of your nightmares and that things that are evil beyond evil that we don't think exist do exist. And they do go bump in the night and they will hurt you and they will attach to you and they will go home with you. And it's very serious. So if you're going to paranormal investigate in these places, I would say the number one thing you should do is always bring a medium with you because you don't know what's in there. You just don't. Whatever the lurking shadow creature may be, it certainly is not a good omen. Whether or not intentional abuse and malpractice went on at the Norwich State Hospital is actually irrelevant because the 
quote unquote treatments used on site were so barbaric and traumatizing in their own right. It's no wonder the hospital has a feeling of foreboding and dread that even the least sensitive and intuitive of a person can feel. It has seen untold amounts of pain, sickness, and sadness, a hive of hurt and despair, a veritable feeding ground for a dark entity like the creature Luna saw to thrive in. The hospital may be closed, crumbling, and falling into an irreparable state of decomposition, but I don't know what that means for the spirits trapped inside. I like to believe that as the earth reclaims each square foot of the building, their souls will be released. But in a twist of fate, the Norwich State Hospital is on the list of nationally registered historic buildings. So as we clamber to preserve the past, we may in fact keep the devil's home alive and well. If you would like to see more of Luna's work, check out her website, lunaparanormal.com, and get access to pictures, videos, tarot card readings, blog posts, podcast episodes, and more. Do you have a spooky story you'd like to share? I'd love to hear it. Drop me an email at thewestlondonwitch at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at The West London Witch. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And come and follow us for additional content on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, Merry Meet, Merry Part, and Merry Meet Again. The West London Witch is created by me, Rebecca Strazina. Our sound designer and production magician is the incredible Danny Cross. Our theme music was bespokely written and performed by the wickedly talented Kyle Hall. Our cover art is the beautiful collaboration between Lizzie Wilson and Jake Bowser. Special thanks to Ms. Sinead Bowers, our quality control and biggest cheerleader. And thank you to you, all of our listeners all over the world. These are your stories. Thank you for sharing them with us.